You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to the Women in Archaeology podcast, a podcast about, for, and by women in the field of archaeology. On this episode, we will be talking about the U.S.'s recent decision to leave UNESCO. Joining me for for this discussion are Jessica Irwin and Emily Long. Ladies, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Perfect. So to start off with, um, do either one of you want to talk a little bit about what UNESCO is, what they do? So UNESCO, uh, the United Nations, it was founded after World War II and the many years of awfulness of World War II, to put lightly in a nutshell. Uh, And it was primarily established to try to combat um, future extremism and try to promote peace. And a big part of UNESCO in general is to uh, coordinate international efforts in education, science, and heritage remembrance. Certain programs that are being worked on right now include stuff like... um, gender equality, uh, clean water, sex education, um, uh, trying to decrease the amount of extremism in the world in general, uh, those, those types of programs in general. And it also created the World Heritage List program, and it administers the World Heritage List and all the sites that are on it. Yeah. So there's actually um, a quote from UNESCO's founding constitution that I really like that speaks to the fact that the founders of UNESCO, of which um, the United States was one of, see, since the beginning, edu- right? <laughs> Literally day one. Um, <laughs> but that the, the founders of UNESCO, UNESCO saw fostering education, science, and culture as a way to encourage peace, not as a means of an end in itself. Mm hmm. And the the quote from the UNESCO founding constitution um, that was adopted on November 16th, 1945, uh, says that since wars began in the minds of men, it is in the minds of men that the defense of peace must be constructed. I like that. Right? It's it's so great. That's a great quote. Um, And talking about education and cultural heritage um, can help to create the defense of peace in the minds of men. If only that really worked. <laughs> right? Or at least worked uh, better well, is probably the better way to put it. Yeah. Worked better, let's say that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because it's it has, it's been working at different points at different times. Definitely. Um, but one of the things that UNESCO is most well known for are they are world heritage sites. And I think in the U.S., we have 23 current World Heritage Sites Mm -hmm. that include, um, like, the Statue of Liberty and Mesa Verde National Park and Yellowstone National Park. Well, and Philadelphia. (laughs) The entire city of Philadelphia. Right. It's one of those, if you like it and it's old, it may be a World Heritage Site. Well, but also, like, with Philadelphia, (laughs) the reason it's a World Heritage Site is because 
the idea of democracy for all was born there and that's something that the world can get behind or like the Grand Canyon is something that only exists in one place so but it's you know like the Grand Canyon should mean something for everyone it's not just like we happen to have it in our country so it's for America only Exactly. Like the Statue of Liberty is a great example, too, where it's like such a symbol, not only for the United States, but about immigration and being a melting pot and freedom and so on. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I know one of the things that people have kind of immediately thought about, or at least in conversations that I had, was, oh, UNESCO does World Heritage Sites. It's one of the things that they're Uh, the most well-known for, what happens to our world heritage sites if we're no longer part of UNESCO? Um, So, I mean, there's there's some good news here, right? And that the U.S. ratified um, UNESCO's, I don't know whether it was their constitution or one of their their early laws um, regarding the creation of world heritage sites, so if we're not part of UNESCO, like those sites are still World Heritage Sites mm-hmm. um, because we in the U.S. ratified that. Um, I think it's the original um, document that was created in 1945. But yeah. Oh, there's also um, the 1970 convention. And let me pull up the title. Um, it's the the means of prohibiting and preventing the illicit import, export, export, and transfer of ownership of cultural property. Um, and it was ratified by 134 nations. And so, even if you um, are no longer a member of UNESCO, you still have to follow those conventions, um, whether or not you have sites. Uh, World Heritage Sites in your country, you still have to follow it because, yeah, the United States signed it. So and right. And it was ratified. So hooray. So no matter what, um, our World Heritage Sites are still hypothetically protected and have the same status, whether or not they are, whether or not the United States is part of UNESCO. Well, right. and we're lucky as well because most of the World Heritage Sites in the United States are managed by other agencies. Mm-hmm. So if it's Park Service or Bureau of Land Management or, you know, like um, they're managed by something like another agency. So they kind of have like double protection where other countries don't necessarily have those things. So the World Heritage listing is a lot more significant. Um Like in, you know, Syria, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... You know, we don't have to worry about it quite as much, but there are other really important sites in the United States that could be World Heritage Sites that I think now would have a lot harder of a time getting that designation, mm-hmm. as well as the kind of like tourism that that brings and those other kind of supplementary things that having that prestigious title of being a World Heritage Site like brings with it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You mentioned Philly earlier, and that's actually an interesting site to talk about. Um, And I don't know that there's a a good answer that's come out yet that I've seen. But Philadelphia being both a a city that has World Heritage sites in it, but being a World Heritage city, I think there is some question as to whether or not the world's 
heritage city designation might be impacted by leaving UNESCO um, because it is different than being a world heritage site. Uh, and I've seen some some kind of questioning opinion pieces, particularly from like Philly news um, papers and things, but I haven't really heard an answer hmm. um, as to what that's going to mean. But the the desi- the difference between being a world heritage site and a world heritage city um, may end up playing into this a little bit. Do you know if UNESCO is also in charge of world heritage cities? I believe they are. I think what it is is that the same what what the designations are that apply to making it a world heritage city like have to be upheld by the city. Um, same like a World Heritage Site, you know, like you have to have certain standards of stewardship. You have to have certain standards of inter- or interpretation. There has to be access. So those kinds of things. So even if Philly were to say lose its designation, which I think for the World Heritage City, that is from, is that from the 2001 that the United States did not ratify? Then, you know, it's a little bit different because it's not part of our, our legal framework to keep it as such. Um, but Philly, you know, like no one's going to let like Liberty Hall <laughs> fall to the ground. Right. Hopefully not. <laughs> well, and I know with the, the World Heritage Cities, um, Edinburgh and Scotland ha- has like UNESCO World Heritage status. The entire city does. Um, and I know in terms of building codes, you know, if you're replacing windows, you have to go through the city council and make sure that the windows that you're replacing are the same size and that they look appropriate because it's like a certain amount of um, the the city has to fall with under the like heritage umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know this mostly because I have friends who <laughs> live in Edinburgh and complain about how long it takes to get work on buildings done as a result <laughs> of the designation. Um <laughs> Most like people who live in, you know, historic downtowns and have to go through mm-hmm. similar city planning. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and Jessica, like you were saying earlier, too, is that we also have a number of other organizations in place, whether it's by the Park Service or, heck, I'm sure a lot of Philadelphia is on the National Register as well. And so they may have to uphold, you know, parts of the National Historic Preservation Act or the Secretary of Interior's guidelines for preservation. Um, so even if it's a similar window situation and uh, we're no longer part of UNESCO and for some reason they're like, well, we guess we don't have to do any of the UNESCO rules. At least there's National Historic Preservation stuff they'll have to comply with as well or get an ARPA fine. So... So there. <laughs> I mean, and that's like, that's great for what we have in the United States. But, but if it's not internationally. Yeah. Or an opinion or the ability to help any other places anywhere else protect exactly. their heritage. Um, but that's that's for later in the show. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. That's a definite major issues that apparently we don't care about anybody else's. Right. With this well, move. but there's there's also issues for our own mm-hmm. historic and culturally important sites in the U.S. because this decision really sends a strong message mm-hmm. that Trump is not invested in a cultural heritage. It's that it's true. not important to him. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are probably going to be people down the line 
who realize that. And we've already seen with the, um, you know, analysis of the national park designations that, and, and like, don't get me wrong, I'm super happy that people got as angry as they did about that um, and that it blew up on social media. But I think that you really run a risk when you know that the people up top don't necessarily care about mm-hmm. cultural heritage, that people might try and gut some of those laws that, that do exist. Um, and well, I think we that's a really see big that concern. There's like some new provisions they're trying to do with the Antiquities Act, especially like with what you're saying with the national monuments. And there have been a number of weird legislative attempts to weaken the National Historic Preservation Act so that you wouldn't have to do any kinds of of compliance for particular projects. And the idea is that, oh, we're, you know, making things. um, Oh, I can't think of the right word for it, but um, it's a, they're making it easier. For yeah, yeah. Well, they're saying it's streamlined and that's a nice way of saying no compliance. And it's terrifying because the idea behind it is that they don't have to do any kind of compliance and therefore, you know, stuff will get destroyed. But they'll have said, you know, oh, no, it's all part of the law. We're just streamlining it now. And Chelsea, you're exactly right that it, it can set a really dangerous precedent. Um a lot of the articles just looking at this whole situation in general, they're saying, oh, it's just a symbolic move. But it, in the long run, it really may weaken what is the right thing to do in general. Well, like I've been thinking a lot about this and like the motivation for why that, you know, the, these things are happening. And I think what it is, is that right now, how our nation's politicians are looking at everything is... Um, you know, by like a, a monetary value. And if you don't understand the inherent value that cultural heritage has, like not just in the United States, but also globally, um, then yeah, you see, you know, we're pouring money into the parks, we're pouring money into our national heritage sites, we're pouring money into our world heritage sites, but because the money and the value doesn't come back on a balance sheet, it, you know, it looks like, oh, okay, well, this is just, you know, like, here we go, here's more money. And so this pull, I feel like this pulling out of UNESCO when we haven't paid our UNESCO bill in a few years and they don't want to pay it is just saying that like, not only do we not value our cultural heritage, but like, we don't, we don't give it any value either. Like, Yes, it doesn't bring us money, but it's not valuable to us because it doesn't bring us money. And that is what's sickening to me. Like mm-hmm. the value of heritage is that it equalizes us. It treats, it shows us what the past is. It shows us what we can do, what we can't do, where we should go. All of those lessons that are in history. And especially for UNESCO, you know, right now their big focus is on on their education front is education for girls in Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like you're going to tell me that Louise Leakey is not like a good person to look up to and not something that we should be like showing other young girls. Like you can be a scientist, you can be an archeologist, you can be a historian um, because it's not like putting black in your balance book, you know? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, a lot of these sites actually are putting black in somebody's balance book. They're helping our economy. People come from all over the world to see the Grand Canyon 
or to go look at the Statue of Liberty. Um, you know, there there are sites that are World Heritage sites that are you know important culturally um, important cultural sites in this country that bring in money, they bring in industry. And mm-hmm. you're right, it's not quantified on an accountant's spreadsheet the same way that a business is. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's important to put it out there that like there is an economic aspect to, oh, yeah. to these sites oh, yeah. and they that it's positive jobs. for the U.S. Oh, yeah. They provide jobs. Um, they provide. Um, right. It's like if we're just looking at just the economic values, like the business side of it i mean for the amount of t-shirts and goods that are sold at these kinds of sites to the jobs they provide even if it's on a seasonal basis to um outside of let's say the park service for um tourist industries i mean there's a ridiculous amount of money that is being made but it's being overshadowed by the amount that um people have to pay for uh, or that people but that the government is saying has to be paid in taxes and um that we need to sl- slash the budget because too much has been given to the parks. It's like, no, if you slash the the budget, then all of these other jobs go away. It's like not a realization that to protect these places, you have to spend some money. Well, but also if you look at a city like Philadelphia, when you go there, any home that you walk into, any hotel, any restaurant, any building, any bar has somewhere, I promise you, a sign that says like when it, that building was built and what historically or culturally significant thing happened there. Even like modern buildings where you're like, oh, this restaurant was built in 1975, but, you know, John Travolta ate here or something like <laughs> there is like that is, you know, like there it people enjoy that it gives them a sense of pride it gives them a sense of connection because you know a famous person that you've heard of happened to be in this building or something important happened to happen on this street and disregarding that is you know disturbing but also the world heritage sites give that kind of connection to everyone mm-hmm. tourists who come internationally and just by pulling out of unesco we're just saying that that just none of that matters like we don't care about any of it and to jump off of that too um supposedly the u.s can still nominate one site every year for ratification as a world heritage site and so the u.s is still reaping some kind of benefit even though they're technically pulling out of unesco and it's just you're right it's it's wrong because we're showing that nothing else matters except our own stuff and we're one of the wealthiest countries in the world and we're not contributing to the agency and and helping protect these other places it's a bad signal well we're also a country of immigrants like my heritage is not in the united states my heritage is in ireland and it is in germany and it is in mexico you know like those Mm -hmm. places are me as well Mm -hmm. definitely and it is really unfair for us to basically say we're still trying to reap the benefits of world heritage sites and things but we don't want to pay for you know the people who have to do the work to figure out who's going you know what sites get to be world heritage sites Mm -hmm. and um again we're one of the wealthiest countries in the world. And we're expecting people from countries that have less to cover our share of mm-hmm. the bill. I mean, 
and to help and still protect our stuff too, or provide the funds to um, continue our sites as well. Right. It's like, well, what? and I've, I've definitely seen some speculation of people being like, I don't know that we will get another one at least for several years because, um, you know, there's going to be resentment. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it could actually really harm the ability for the U.S. to get future World Heritage Sites. Yeah. Well, and in the grand scheme of things, the amount that we owe UNESCO, which is like, what, 35% of their budget, $800 million, like, is not... It's 22% of their budget. Okay. I was like, it's not that much, though, really. Like... When we think about our budget. (laughs) Yeah, when you think about our budget, like, it's not that much. Um, And the amount of good that it does in the world... I think, you know, empathy is something that might be missing from this decision as well. Definitely. So I think that's a a good stopping point for our first 20 minutes. When we come back, we can talk a little bit about the reasons why the United States has said they're pulling out of UNESCO, uh, as well as maybe some of our own opinions about why we think they're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Us? Opinions? (gasps) Who would have thought? Hey, podcast fans, check out the ARC 365 podcast at www.arcpodnet.com forward slash ARC 365. That's A-R-C-H 365 for your daily dose of archaeology. Each episode is less than 15 minutes long, and we have some great guests recording about awesome archaeology. We also try to throw in some definitions and basic archaeological information. So check out the 365 Days of Archaeology podcast only in 2017 at www.arcpodnet.com forward slash ARC 365 today. Find us also on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Music by typing ARC365 into the search. Now back to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Women in Archaeology podcast. On today's episode, we have been discussing the potential ramifications of the U.S. leaving UNESCO. We spent the last 20 minutes talking about some of the archaeological ramifications Um, We're going to segue into why the U.S. says they're leaving UNESCO, slash why we think they're actually leaving UNESCO in this section, um, and some politics about that. So does someone want to kick us off with kind of the official statement? All right. So the official statement from the U.S. Department, slash Rex Tillerson, slash Trump, is that... uh, UNESCO is having too much of an anti-Israel bias, and that um, that was pretty much. And they didn't really want to pay the debts that the um, the the amount of money that the U.S. owes. It's unfair because right because we really owe that no money reason. because we owe because, that money <laughs> because we decided to stop paying them. So um, we. We have lost a lot of our voting rights in the UNESCO in the last oh, yeah. four or five years because we stopped paying uh, our dues. Mm-hmm. And it was actually during uh, Obama's administration that we stopped paying our dues. And it was when UNESCO allowed Palestine to join. And there is apparently uh, an old archaic law from a while ago on our book somewhere that says... You know, the U.S. will not pay money to 
um, any organization that has Palestine as a member, which was a law that was, you know, written by people who are um, pro-Israel. And when the when UNESCO allowed Palestine into to be part of UNESCO, there was an understanding that the U.S. was going to kind of try and strike this law from the books, which Obama was very pro-doing, as mm-hmm. were the ambassadors to UNESCO. But it was a Republican-controlled Congress at the time, and they put a stalemate into it and basically refused to allow anything to happen. Um, so, yeah, we owe them a lot of money, but, like, we also basically haven't paid our bill in several years. Mm-hmm. Um that's a problem. Oh, yeah. And uh, just one of the things trying to dig a little bit deeper into, like, specifically what is the U.S. Department, U.S. State Department saying is the anti-Israel bias. Um, it's centered a bit around when um, the this old city uh, in Hebron, Hebron, H-E-B-R-O-N, um, was declared a World Heritage Site, but it was declared for Palestine instead of Israel. And uh, that really ticked off Israel and really ticked off the United States. And we're not Israel bashing here uh, by by any stretch, and but it does become a bit dangerous whenever you're starting to politicize heritage. And that seems to be kind of what's going on here. It's like, you know, more than one country can have a world heritage site and it doesn't have to be just one country in particular and it doesn't have to only represent one thing to one country but it ticked off enough people that the u.s was like we're out and uh when that happened then uh benjamin Netanyahu of israel and I have a quote here, said, this is a brave and moral decision because UNESCO has become a theater of the absurd and because instead of preserving history, it distorts it. Whereas it seems to be actually the other way around is that it's forcing the politicization, if that's a word, the politicizing of heritage, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to being like, this is a World Heritage Site. Ta-da. Right. And, and, Particularly places that have been occupied for as long as that part of the world has been continuously occupied for, sites are going to have meanings to multiple different groups. No. Well, and I mean, archaeologically speaking, like, I have friends who work in Haifa who do underwater archaeology there. And I am not exaggerating when I say that it's like, here is a 20th century shipwreck on top of an 18th century shipwreck on top of a 17th century shipwreck on top of a 16th century <laughs> shipwreck. Like, it's all just like stacked on top of each other. It's like there's been wars there for hundreds of years. There's been occupation there for hundreds of years. There's been agriculture there for hundreds of years. Like, I think that being like, a country saying this world heritage site is ours is an oxymoron because like, how can a world heritage site only represent one perspective? Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work like that. And I guess, I mean, if, if for some reason the 
World Heritage Site descriptor. Um, if you go onto their website, there's some wonderful explanations of the different kinds of World Heritage Sites there are. If it says, no, this was only for this thing and it purposely discounts other viewpoints that are legitimate, then yeah, that's when it becomes an issue. But it doesn't sound like that's been a problem, really. Like it's it's trying to be like, look at all of these perspectives, look at all how this is a heritage for all and represents many different important things. So yeah, you're you're totally right, Jessica, that it, it doesn't belong necessarily to one person or one group or one country. And when you try to do that, it, it, it's incredibly dangerous. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, well, that's the stated reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to talk about why they think? <laughs> I think uh, it's personal good. opinions. Who wants to start? <laughs> I have, there's a couple reasons why I think. <laughs> one, I think that this administration has no regard for cultural heritage and wants an easy way out of a commitment that we're financially behind in. Because any time that we are not, you know, less money going out looks better for Trump. Two, I think that even though we're talking about the archaeology and the heritage part, UNESCO does do a lot of science. Mm -hmm. They also specifically do some pretty good climate science. So pulling any money away from that is also, you know, always like a bonus in certain people's books. Um, but then I think that our, our presence in the UN is even in question um, by certain people in administration. So why not pull back step by step and slowly erode the, the, you know, the foundation for being global citizens? Like this is just, you know, the first piece of Changa at the base of the stack. Mm -hmm. But that's just my not bitter, not angry opinion. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I think is, crazy is how this has happened before um, during, I believe, the Reagan administration? Would 1984 yes. be the Reagan administration? And yes. it's stated over like, oh no, it's because of, again, um, an anti-Israel bias, supposedly, and free market capitalism or um, not supporting enough of free market capitalism. Well, what do we think then? It probably really was. It's probably about capitalism. And so it, this has shown it's been a, an issue before, and this is not a, a new thing. And it's interesting that it's under Reagan, who is, you know, tutored to be the the best Republican ever, supposedly. Um, <laughs> but it's just it's very strange that this has happened before. And again, kind of over a kind of jingoistic era. Being like, let's yeah. go back to the good old days. And now we're going again back. Let's get back to the good old days. Whereas. Well, but that, oh, go ahead. The, like, oh, I was going to say that make America great slogan. Like that's that's like very Reagan-esque. Yes. There, there are, you know, um, a lot of similarities. Exactly. And that kind of like we need to focus on America, America first and all of these exactly. things. It's like United Nations has done a lot for everyone and we can't you know be isolationist and even if we want to be more like yeah america we have a lot of unique world heritage sites 
that are Native American and wouldn't fit into Trump's little bubble of, you know, what he considers to be American heritage if we look at, like, the monument situation and um, his not taking umbrage with many situations that make us angry about neo-Nazis and whatnot. But it's just... it, it makes sense that he's trying to do this with how the United Nations has been treated in the past by other um, administrations. Right. Probably the best so, but it, way to put it. it <laughs> I think it is also worth noting that it was Bush who had the U.S. rejoin UNESCO. Yes, 2002. Um, because, yeah, because he recognized um, the value of having a seat at that table and yes, you can be like an, an observer member um, and not have the vote. And we currently don't have the vote because, again, we're not paying our bills. Um, but it's not the same as having a seat at that table, having a vote, being able to to sit and say things. And that just because every vote doesn't go your way doesn't mean you don't want to have a voice and you don't want to have a seat at the table mm-hmm. right? you don't have skin in that game. And also realizing that it's really, really important for broader international relationships and building the cross-country, cross-cultural communications. I mean, people between 1984 and 2002, you know, there was less institutional collaboration between the U.S. and other institutions abroad because they didn't have this forum to to work off of. Um, now, my personal opinion. Yes. Um, <laughs> right? I'm not opinionated at all. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, I think there's, there's kind of a twofold thing going on here. When UNESCO first started, I believe there were 37 member states in 1945. There are now 195, I believe. Hmm. So, um, and and it used to be very, very Western um, in nature. And over the years, it's shifted and you have more countries from different continents, from different cultural groups who are joining in. And I think that the weight of, of the U.S. and their vote uh, I mean, like, if every vote is worth the same, but your vote used to be worth 137th, and now it's worth one out of 200, like, that vote is worth less, percentage-wise. And you do need to have more agreement with other countries to to get what you want done. Um, so I think there is a little bit of an idea among some people that we can't control it, so why are we part of it? Which is wrong! Mm-hmm. Um, one... And two, I think, and this ties in a little bit to what Jessica was saying earlier, Trump has not had a lot of wins, which, like, I'm profoundly grateful for, right? (laughs) Um, He's done a bad job rolling back um, Obamacare. You know, he's he's done his darndest to try and um, make it as difficult as possible to... Enroll. By the way, I think the current enrollment period is November 1st to December 15th, and they're not advertising that anywhere. So if you need health insurance and you're planning on getting it through the Affordable Care Act, um, you only have about six weeks to do that in. Sidebar. But this is this is a thing that he can say, well, we did this thing. And um, it's realistically a fairly easy thing because he doesn't 
necessarily need congressional approval, um, I don't think, to do this. Although it's a strange thing because a lot of people don't understand what UNESCO is. It is. But it's also, you, he can sit there and he can say, you know, we owe them approximately $550 million dollars. And that's $550 million that we're then not going to pay out and it's going to help balance our budget. But to like, and don't get me wrong, like $550 million, like seems like a really big, big number. For the, the current year's like federal fiscal um, budget that was put out by the government, the U.S. military budget is $824.6 billion dollars okay the the what the money that we owe to unesco which would also be much 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 smaller if we hadn't you know stopped paying our bill years ago um but that that money that we owe them is point zero zero (laughs) zero six uh percentage of what the military budget is I think I may have put one extra zero in there. I was trying to count on my fingers at the same time. Um, but it's, I mean, it's less than half a percent, right? It is a literal drop in the bucket compared to, like, mm-hmm. just the military expenditure. That's not like the entire government expenditure. Just the military expenditure, okay? But again, it's something that if you don't know those numbers and you don't know those uh, those fractions, it seems like a big number and it seems like something is really being done. When in reality, like all you're doing is uh, not sending a very good, you oh, know, gosh, international yeah. um, viewpoint of the U.S. Not that our international reputation is great at this point, but not well, open. I get too that like. UNESCO is not a perfect organization, right? So UNESCO has its problems. Um, You know, the United States in terms of employments and representatives is, or well, when we were in good standing, was listed as an (laughs) underrepresented nation, which to me is like always kind of baffling because, you know, when you think of underrepresented nations, you think of, I don't know, like Tahiti or something, like some tiny country somewhere where they're like, yeah, that makes sense that, you know, there's only five employees from that country that work there. But, um, and, you know, we have, there are UNESCO conventions that we didn't ratify that deal directly with cultural resource protection. Um, I mean, obviously underwater stuff close to my heart is the 2001 convention, which specifically deals with underwater cultural heritage and the United States chose not to ratify it. So, that's all fine. Like you, UNESCO is not a perfect organization, but like mm-hmm. needing a win is not <laughs> a reason to just <laughs> chop off like a massive international collaborative arm of your, you know, potential government. Not so. at all. Not at all. Not saying that in any way, shape or form. The other side of that, let me just also add this little sidebar. Um, Miss Governor or former Governor Haley, now UN Representative Haley, when she the first thing she did when she became governor of South Carolina was pretty much eliminate all of the cultural heritage laws in the state and as well as like 
eliminate, you know, the some of the kind of Section 106 compliance laws that were here in South Carolina. And so part of me is just not surprised that, like, she probably encouraged this and probably let this happen because that's just who she is. And I want to be a feminist and say, you go, girl, but I just can't. So. Yeah. Jessica, out of curiosity, why would um, how come the U.S. did not ratify the 2001 underwater convention? Um, because they feel that it doesn't go far enough and that it's not enforceable in its current like state. But the 2001 UNESCO Convention on Underwater Cultural Heritage is more like like there's no reason not to ratify it. It's kind of like all of the other stuff that is, you know, we're pulling out of right now. Like, okay, it doesn't go far enough, but it does give some protection. So mm-hmm. why not have minimal protections and then, you know, build upon it? Um, but I think that the main political reason that it wasn't ratified is because it they purposely did not address issues with the South China Sea and who that belongs to. Um, because that's not UNESCO's job, you know, um, to decide whose water, whose territorial waters or what, um, and what it, so that's what the U S wanted was like more leverage against those kind of things. When in actuality, what they were saying was like, you know, you need to respect war graves and you need to, um, not impact cultural heritage Mm. sites. And in international waters, you need to have collaboration before you build standing structures or drill or any of those kind of things. So, that's kind of why, um, but like if we had ratified it, it would have done, there was no penalty. There was like no bat downside to ratifying it. Um, but there's also like, you know, a lot are, we, it didn't go far hmm. enough was like the official reasoning. So that's interesting. I'd be curious to see what other cultural resource heritage conventions they decided not to ratify on. Just to see kind of like, what what are the real reasons behind this? Yeah, I mean, that seems like a really great way to be like, here's the thing I don't want to do and I can give a reason and save face and look good saying it. And then also like not have to put my money where my mouth is. It's <laughs> um, my own personal opinion. <laughs> I'm just like wondering like what hotel trump wants to build on a not or in a world heritage site and that's why this is happening <laughs> machu picchu <laughs> sorry just kidding just kidding <laughs> interested in archaeology want to hear from experts in the field about the latest discoveries and interpretations check out the archaeology show every other saturday and let hosts chris webster and april camp whitaker take you deeper into the story check out the archaeology show at www.archpodnet.com forward slash archaeology and subscribe rate and comment on itunes stitcher radio and the google music store that's www.archpodnet.com forward slash archaeology now back to the show Hi, and welcome back to the Women in Archaeology podcast. On today's episode, we have been discussing the ramifications for the U.S. deciding to leave um, UNESCO. So far, we've talked a lot about the impacts to the U.S. In this section, we are going to shift our focus a little bit and talk to the broader international impacts that this decision 
could have on UNESCO and other countries and cultural sites around the world. Jessica, it seemed like you had a really good point um, over the break about the antiquities trade. Yeah, so one of the things that UNESCO does is that it, well, the cultural arm of UNESCO is that it monitors the World Heritage sites that, you know, it designates. And particularly those sites that are in um, areas where there is conflict taking place, um, while they may not be able to put physical people on the ground to guard and watch those sites, they do monitor them using satellite imagery. They ask for reports from local people and it, you know, and try to kind of educate and negate like illegal artifact trafficking. Um, And the most, I mean, the, the most recent of these is those places in Syria that have been seriously, you know, destroyed and harmed by ISIS. Um, So just in Syria, there is six World Heritage Sites. Um, I know that I've seen the pictures of Palmyra that has been completely destroyed, um, but also the city of Aleppo, the city of Damascus. There's ancient villages in northern Syria. And all of these places, you know, ISIS has just gone in and destroyed. But because they were designated as World Heritage Sites, um, first, they were really well documented, even though Syria has never really had like a huge archaeological kind of component of its government, but they were well-documented. They were well-researched. They were open to international scholars because of this designation. And then as the atrocities have happened there, UNESCO has been monitoring them. um, And we've been able to see, you know, day to day, like the pitting, the, you know, when the ISIS blew up the temple at Palmyra um, to just kind of know what's happening instead of going in, after the fact, you know, who knows how long from now and just kind of discovering what's left. Um, My worry with the United States pulling out is that, you know, we're not going to be able to contribute to those kind of that monitoring, um, that knowledge and the whole space archaeology thing. You know, it kind of originates here with us. And we're lucky that those technologies have been, been able to be applied to these sites. And it's kind of like, well, you know, what's going to happen now. Um, It's just a shame that we won't be able to be a part of that anymore. Mm -hmm. And to build off of that, now that cultural, uh, cultural heritage damage, like the, the intentional or the um, purposeful destruction of archeological sites, like what you're talking about, uh, Jessica can now be um, a war crime. Now the United States can't wouldn't really be able to contribute as much in terms of helping prosecute uh, the destruction of cultural sites as a uh, war crime with UNESCO, um, with the Hague, and so on. Um, and it, yeah, I think you're right. It just sets a very, very bad precedent um, in terms of not being able to participate, and then other countries may follow suit and just not care and not want to be part of the organization anymore and just say we're out as well and follow along in the United States footsteps and who knows what will happen with UNESCO then um, financially um, just how it's regarded as an organization how these places would be protected and so on yeah so there was um 
a guy who's quoted in a, an article that we'll put in the show notes. His name is Peter Stone. He's the head of the School of Arts and Culture at Newcastle University, as well as a UNESCO chair. Um, and he said, UNESCO is there and the whole of the UN is there to try to bring the worlds together. If a major player decides to leave, that weakens both the country and UNESCO. And yes, it's it's our inability to maybe have access to data or information um, about potential artifacts mm-hmm. that are being trafficked from from sites. But if we're not aware of that and trafficking is going on in the U.S., that's also incredibly damaging to the culture from whom those um, things have been stolen. Um, you know, it's not fair to them. And the amount of you know, the amount of resources and time and energy that it takes to educate people. Like, I understand that there's, you know, whole economies based on the looting of archaeological sites. And it's not, you know, just in war-torn places, but, you know, this is a whole economy. But UNESCO makes an effort to provide educational resources to smaller communities, to, you know, villages that are near important archaeological sites, to to show them like, you know, it's more sustainable to bring tourists to see your site than to dig holes in your site to sell a pot once, like sell a ticket to see it a hundred times rather than sell a pot once. And by not, you know, by not promoting that and not contributing to that education, like, first of all, we are a wealthy country. We are fortunate enough in our privilege that we do have professional archaeologists and historians, you know, like a plethora of them to provide <laughs> the, you know, to provide that kind of help and education if so asked. But also, you know, if we're just going to disregard it, then like we're just saying that we don't, you know, we don't care about it. We shouldn't go as tourists then either. You know, if, it, if we're just going to disregard all of it, like that's kind of well, that's how it feels to me. But I think I'm being a little dramatic. <laughs> Um, I don't know about that. I mean, I think it's, mm-hmm. it's really important that we engage in, uh, education and certainly our country is not free mm-hmm. of faults for behaving inappropriately with archeological materials in the past. Um, and unfortunately present sometimes as well. Um, and if you're not part of the solution, you're not part of the, then you're part of the problem is almost the way that I look at it. Um, you know, and Mm -hmm. UNESCO is great because it's this organization that in a lot of ways you can look to as an organization that sets the standards for what is the right thing to do? What is the moral thing to do? Mm -hmm. And if you are pulling away from that, you might weaken their authority in that area. Um, and that's not good. (laughs) Because there are certainly countries that model their um, what they do in their legislation on what UNESCO mm-hmm. recommends. Um, and I think that, again, UNESCO is not perfect. But if you are from a small country and you don't have money to spend to do studies to figure this out, you know, having someone else that you can look at who's thought about it and maybe published and has recommendations... Um, can bring a lot of good to cultural management practices all over the world. Well, and fostering those partnerships 
are how, you know, we have professionals from here, from the United States, go to other countries, you know, to help, like, help advise on preservation and come up with, you know, okay, your, your collection can't be an air conditioned. It can't, you know, you're, you're in Africa. Like here's some things that we can do to help you, you know, preserve it or interpret it and severing those ties. Just, it hurts everybody. Um, because, you know, there are places that don't have the resources to really invest in their cultural heritage, which is why we have UNESCO. And I know that, Like everyone in the world has seen the movie Monuments Men um, or read the book. And, you know, that's like where this idea comes from. Like the idea that cultural heritage and, you know, not not just archaeology, but art and architecture is important. Like, you know, we we brought that idea out. We made it a priority in a wartime. And the fact that like now we're just we can't be bothered is I think it's absurd. Like it's just crazy. Yeah, the lack of care is really troubling, and it really is following a trend in general in this administration, just a general lack of care for many different categories of of things. But on the bright side, um, this doesn't take effect until December 31st of 2018. Uh, so there is time, hypothetically, uh, to reverse the withdrawal and there is always the possibility of rejoining and one thing we can hope and strongly suggest whether it's letters or just being very vocal um just showing that the united states we want to be part of unesco um is that we can rejoin and perhaps in a future administration that could happen um so there, there is at least that. It's not perfect and it's not a great solution, but at least there is always a possibility of rejoining, as we have seen in the past um, with uh, Bush rejoining uh, UNESCO after Reagan. And so it could happen and perhaps the withdrawal will not take place. Uh, we can just only hope that this doesn't set a precedent for uh, a precedence for other countries following suit and I'm afraid I can't remember which of you said it over the the break. The hashtag, um, oh, what was yeah, it? Yeah, Unexit. Unexit. Yeah. Unexit. Yeah. It's like let's hope this does not become some like absurd trend that it's like yeah let's let's leave without people understanding what it can really mean. Um, well, I think too though that is it, it's like a it's funny as a hashtag, but it also makes sense because it we're doing the same thing. Oh yeah. Like, we want to leave, but we want all the perks. Like, we don't want to contribute. We don't want to pay. We don't want to do anything. But we still want to seat at the table. And we still want all the perks of it. Like, we want all the good parts of it, but we're not willing to, like, you know, put in the effort to contribute to the rest mm-hmm. of it. So I think it in that regards, it's kind of, like, there's similar ties, but it's, you know, it can't just be, like, a trending topic. Like, this has long-term effects that are going to reverberate, like, through the world, especially, you know, if we're the first, like, domino, you know? And one of the really large contributing dominoes. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you can hope that uh, the fact that the rest of the world, and I think rightly, does not have a wonderful opinion of our current uh, leadership may convince some people to, like, 
that following yeah. him is not a great idea. <laughs> On the other hand, you know, we are um, a large world power, although the increasing, increasingly isolationist policies that 45 um, keeps trying to, to engage in, I think are only going to weaken us internationally um, and, you know, makes our seat at the, the table less important and less serious to, to consider. Um, but... Well, I also think if you're going to criticize an organization for not doing a good enough job or being corrupt, the, you know, you if it was your business that you owned and you felt that, you know, everyone who sat on your board was corrupt, like you wouldn't resign, like you wouldn't quit. You would like get in there and do the work and find solutions from the inside to make it better. Um, you know, screaming and crying like outside the building is not gonna do anything to change mm -hmm. these you know these issues that are supposedly the reason that we left so but i just worry that you know like if we're not part of the monitoring system as well and you know there are sites being looted like we we're not always as responsible as we should be when we import artifacts or we buy artifacts into museums or you know like those kind of things so you know i don't want 10 years from now when we haven't rejoined UNESCO, the muse the integrity of our museum and our museum collections and our interpretations here in the United States to be harmed because we're not doing due diligence because we don't have international collaborators um, in regards to global cultural heritage. Yeah, I think that's really important um, and, and worrisome, um, but an important <laughs> thing to, to consider. Um, and we, we, I mean, we definitely saw in like 1984 that collaboration between countries and between institutions from different countries and people of different cultures did decrease. So I think that's a very, very valid concern. Well, and I mean, if we're like, you know, we're all postgraduate school in graduate school kind of level, um, even just like a field school, you know, like I didn't wasn't able to go to a field school abroad but like you know that's like what kids dream about when they dream about being an archaeologist is you know going to Greece or going to Italy or you know going abroad to these like really ancient places and those are all international collaborations with international institutions with international universities and the reason that those kind of projects can happen are because of ties that are built through organizations like UNESCO um, you know, you can't just, I was on one of those kinds of projects, uh, for my field school. And we were literally excavating right along a UN buffer zone. And we were visited by UN soldiers to make sure yeah. we were safe when we were excavating this place. And that would have not been possible without the UN and UNESCO. And I mean, it's just, Sorry, it was just an example, just being like, yes, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, it, that project would have never been able, never would have happened otherwise. Well, yeah, I mean, when you start out like as a, you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed undergrad, um, you know, you don't dream of digging shovel test pits like in Ohio, you know, 30 and <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly. degree weather. You're not dreaming about that. You have, you know, these, these amazing, like, you want to have those amazing experiences and those amazing experiences that you get to do every once in a while gets you through the kind of like mundane stuff. 
But the elimination of, of these kind of partnerships eliminates those possibilities as well. Um, and history and anthropology and archaeology majors are finally making a comeback. <laughs> and, you know, like, let's not, like, kill them yeah. before they, they get a good footing again. <laughs> Definitely. Um, now, we are approaching kind of the end of our episode today. So if anyone has some more final thoughts that they want to get in before we have to say goodbye. Sure. Um. More than anything, uh, and I feel like I repeat myself on every episode, is just be aware. Be aware of what's going on. Because um, I think it's really easy with the amount of news that is thrown at us every single day. It's easy to let something like this kind of slip on by. I wasn't even that aware of the situation. And I'm an archaeologist. And so I think it's incredibly important for us to be consistently aware of what type of um, things that are happening in terms of our uh, cultural heritage, what's going on. Um, see if there's anything we can do to halt the progression of things like this or at least slow it down or get our voice heard that we may not agree with it um that kind of thing because i mean withdrawing from unesco is it's a big deal and it, i think it's really going to harm uh the role of the united states and its view like everyone's view of the united states as a when it used to be like a leader of the world and and so on um I know it's a bit rambly, but uh, just in general, we just need to be aware of what's going on. Otherwise, who knows what's going to be the next thing that's going to come up. Yeah. I think be, be aware is great. Um, isolationist policies benefit no one. <laughs> um, you know. I think along those lines, like my final thought is just as an individual, be a global citizen, care about more than what's just happening in your own backyard. And this should, if you travel, if you want to travel, if you have ever gone to a museum on a vacation or think archeology span is cool in any way, shape or form, like this should outrage you. Um, and if you are not, I don't know if you think that like you're just an American, then fine. Okay. Go live in your box. But if you know that you, your family came from somewhere other than the United States, then like this should outrage you and upset you because it's disregarding your personal heritage as well. Definitely. So. Well, ladies, thank you so much for joining me tonight. It is always a pleasure. And I always feel like I learned so much from you. Um, and as always, if you have comments or questions about this episode, we can be found on Twitter at, at WomenArchies, or you can always email us at womeninarchaeology at gmail.com. Um, and again, ladies, thank you so much, and I'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. We hope you have enjoyed the show. Please be sure to subscribe and rate our show wherever you listen. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and probably whatever your favorite podcasting app is. Remember to like and share. 
If you have questions or comments, you can post them in the comments section for the show at the Women in Archaeology page on the Archaeology Podcasting Network site, or email them to us at womeninarchaeologypodcast at gmail.com. This show is part of the Archaeology Podcasting Network and is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle. You can reach them at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Music for this show was Retro Future by Kevin McLeod, available at Incomtep and royalty-free music. Thanks for listening. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.